Good morning. Those baptisms were pretty special, right? Each and every child, and uh, and to have Jesse as well, it was just it was uh, real, real special for uh, so many of you also in the audience, families and friends. So it's a special morning, time to celebrate. Hey, if you have a Bible, please turn to Joshua chapter two. Joshua chapter two. As you're turning there, uh, some of you have asked about Marianne. I did want to give another update. Uh, is still hospitalized as a result of, of ovarian cancer and uh, other uh, related issues. Um, successful surgery, but the recovery has been a little bit longer than we had hoped. She was originally hoping for just a week in the hospital, but it's been longer. Um, but thankfully, she's starting to graduate to different uh, diets. Uh, now I believe she's at a liquid diet. And hopefully graduating uh, a little bit further down the road here soon. So we do uh, hope and pray that Marianne continues to heal up. Keep praying for her. She uh, appreciates all the cards and encouragement. Some of you have sent flowers and gifts. And it's all been uh, very much appreciated by her and the family. Let's stand together as we read from Joshua chapter 2. If you have a pew Bible, you can turn to page 117. And I'd love for you to all grab a Bible and follow along with us today. So if you don't have one, grab a Bible, look at page 117, there you'll find Joshua chapter 2. And we're in the second part, uh, final part of our small series on Rahab. This, uh, This sermon today is entitled, Rahab, God Delights in Using the Unlikely. Joshua 2, beginning in verse 15 to the end of the chapter. Then she, that is Rahab, then she let them down, the spies of Israel, by a a rope through the window. For her house was on the city wall, and she dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, Get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned, and afterward you may go your way. And so the men said to Rahab, We will be blameless of this oath of, of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head, If a hand is laid on him, and if you tell this business of ours, then we will be made free from your oath which you made us swear. Then Rahab said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. And they departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way, but did not find them. So the two spies, the two men, they returned, descended from the mountain, and crossed over. And they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. Verse 24, And they said to Joshua, Truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. Heavenly Father, would you bless this time in your word Give us, by your Spirit, eyes to see precisely 
what you want us to see. Teach us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Some of you might, who missed last week might be wondering, where are we? What, what story is this? Well, it's a familiar story to those who, have, uh, who probably grew up in, in Sunday school. It's the story of Rahab and the spies. We looked at this story briefly last week and now we're concluding it today. A brief synopsis of it. Israel, the Jews, the, the chosen people, this was a time after the time of Moses and they were just east of the Jordan River. They were about to enter the promised land and Moses had taken them from Egypt all the way to the east side of the Jordan River and at that time he transferred leadership over to a new man because Moses uh, was about to die and he transferred his uh, mantle of leadership to a young man named Joshua, hence the name of this book, Joshua. And Joshua, as he took the mantle from Moses and prepared to take the many, many tens of thousands of Israelites into the promised land, he prepared, as any commander would, as any leader would, he prepared to go in to the land to scout it out, to see what they would encounter, what battles they might need to fight. And he sent two spies, two of his best men, into Jericho. And there, as they went into this walled city, they encountered an unlikely ally, a woman by the name of Rahab, a prostitute, a harlot. And she hid these men from the king, the king of Jericho. And she lied even to protect these men and sent the king's men in a different direction. She, she, when the king came to her door, when the king's messenger came and said, where are the spies that have come to you? She said, uh, they've already left. They've gone down back toward the Jordan. You should pursue them. Maybe you'll find them. And off the king's men went. All along, she had hidden the men up on top of her roof. She protected the Israelites. She protected the Jewish spies, enabling them giving them time and enabling them to scout out the land and find its weak spots. She also made an agreement with them. She made an agreement with the spies and thus with all of Israel that because of her kindness, this woman, a foreigner, an outsider, a harlot no doubt, but because of her kindness to them, she made an agreement that they agreed to that they would protect her when the time came for Israel to attack Jericho. And so we read in verse 15 and following the story of them descending from her residence and confirming once again that agreement. Look again at verse 15. Then Rahab let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the city wall, and she dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, get to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. And afterward, you may go your way. The spies headed out. They descended from the the window outside of her residence, right on the wall of Jericho, went down on a rope, and then they proceeded to head uh, due west, believe it or not. They went in the opposite direction of the Jordan River uh, to hide in the mountains, to hide in the foothills. 
that were just to the west of Jericho. But before descending down the rope, the spies of Israel reconfirmed their agreement to protect Rahab. And they promised to protect Rahab and her family so long as three conditions were met. They they used the word unless, unless, unless. They said there's three conditions. If you meet these conditions, we will keep to our bargain. Let's look at those conditions now. Look at verse 17. Three conditions that the spies gave to Rahab. So the men said to Rahab, we will be blameless of this oath. In other words, hey, we do not need to keep this oath unless we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you made us swear, unless you do these things. Unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And we will be blameless unless you bring your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household to your own home. So it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house and into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and will be guiltless of that blood. And whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And finally, verse 20 And we will be blameless unless you tell this business of ours to someone else. uh, That is to say, if you tell this business to someone else, if you tell of our plans to attack, we'll be blameless of this oath. Verse 20 again. If you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. Three conditions on your outline. If you have an outline and you want to take some notes, condition number one is found in verse 18a. Verse 18a once again reads that we'll be blameless unless when we come into your land you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. You might want to jot down there, tie a scarlet cord in the window. That's condition number one. The men gave uh, Rahab or perhaps they found uh, in her house uh, a, a red scarlet cord a rope a small uh, piece of rope and they said we want you to tie this in your window in your windowsill as an expression of your intent to align yourselves with us when the armies of Israel come into Jericho we will look and we will look in your window and we will wait and see if in fact that scarlet cord is lying there uh, hung in the window And if it is, we will know that you're with us. Condition number two, found at the end of verse 18, on into verse 19. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your home, your house, and into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and will be guiltless of that blood. But whoever is in your home he says whoever is with you in the house his blood if if that is shed it'll be on our head if a hand is laid on him we will be guilty because we have vowed to protect all those in your home so the second condition is that Rahab would bring her family anyone that she wants protected from the coming attack of the Israeli army she they say to her bring your family into the four walls of your house 
Because the only ones who will be safe are the ones who reside in this home. So go find your father, your mother, your brothers, your household, and bring them in. A third condition is found in verse 20. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. And don't tell anyone. We don't want to catch word that that you have let others know of our plans to attack. Interestingly enough, she of course had, they they did give her permission to tell her family, did they not? Uh, So this verse 20 here probably didn't apply to her father, her mother, her brothers, and so on. Which was also interesting to me because being a harlot or a prostitute, it's, it's fascinating to me that, that Rahab, Um, give an opportunity to protect her family and and disclose what's about to happen to the city, that when she goes to her father, her mother, her brothers, and her household, um, it's, it's noteworthy that they listened to her. She was trustworthy. And you might think, well, how could she be trustworthy? She's a prostitute. But again, there were different kinds of prostitutes in the ancient Near East. Some were of the uh, cultic, religious, uh, pagan kind, and others were prostitutes by necessity, out of raw need and ability to provide for one's own. And it seems that Rahab's family was incredibly poor, um, a family with little means to subsist. Her father, her brothers could not assist Rahab in her uh, in her financial needs and so she had to become a prostitute to make ends meet and so that when she came back to her family and warned them of the coming attack they still trusted in her because they knew that what she was doing was something that was a last resort for her something that she was ashamed to do but had to do out of necessity to live that life of harlotry so Rahab was yet trustworthy someone who the family um, recognized as being truthful. What happens next? Look at verse 21. Then she said, according to your words, so be it. Stop right there. She, she hears the conditions of the spies, the Jewish men that have come and said, here are the stipulations. Condition one, tie this cord in the window. Condition two, Bring your whole family, anyone you want to keep safe, put them in these four walls because everyone outside these walls are going to be slaughtered. Condition three, don't tell a soul. Don't tell a soul about our plans to attack. Verse 21 says, Then she said, According to your words, so be it. The agreement was secured. And she sent them away and they departed and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. And they departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. That is, the king's men came back, having gone awry based on Rahab's lie. And the pursuers returned and the pursuers uh, sought them all along the way but did not find them. So the two men returned, verse 23, descended from the mountain, crossed over the Jordan and came to Joshua the son of Nun and told him all that had befallen them. And they said to Joshua, truly... The Lord has delivered all the land into our hands, for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted 
because of us. They're scared of us. Rahab confirmed the agreement. She said, by your word, so be it. She fastened a single strand of scarlet cord in her window. She went off to find her family, to tell them of the only hope that they had for deliverance. The spies also left Rahab's home. They hid in the mountains. Three days later, they descended, crossed the Jordan when, it was, when, it, when all was safe, and returned to Joshua to declare to him all of the details of their reconnaissance mission. And Joshua and Israel became emboldened. They were ready. Having received the information from the spies, having trusted their ally within the walls, Rahab, Israel was emboldened to finally enter the promised land. Now 40 years since their ancestors were enslaved in Egypt. 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And if you were were to read chapters 3 and 4 and 5 of Joshua, you would read about uh, the time in which they're preparing for this great battle. They're they're starting to uh, rise up in expectation, becoming bold, becoming uh, courageous that God is with them. And they cross the Jordan in chapters 3 and 4 and 5. And they prepare, they consecrate themselves and they prepare for the battle that lies ahead. But then something occurs in the calendar, no doubt. Turn over to Joshua chapter 5, verse 10. Joshua chapter 5, verse 10. Now they have already crossed the Jordan. They're in a place called Gilgal, just to the northeast of Jericho. They can see the walled city before them. But first they stop. Look at verse 10 of chapter 5. Now the children of Israel camped in Gilgal and they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at twilight on the plains of Jericho. The Bible is full of uh, dates and statistics and it is often said in the scriptures that on such and such a day of such and such a month the Jews did this. On such and such a day of such and such a month, the Jews did that. It's usually the case that we we read all these dates and statistics and we kind of gloss over them. We're like, okay, but where's, where's the good part? Where's the good part? This is the good part. This date is one of the good parts of the story of Rahab and the spies. This verse should not be ignored. The 14th day of the first month in the Jewish calendar was a day in which the Jews observed the feast of Passover. What is Passover? Turn over to Exodus, second book of your Bible. Exodus chapter 12. If you have a few Bible, you can turn to page 35. Exodus chapter 12. And we're going to read about what the Passover was. Exodus 12. We're going to read verses 5 through 7 and then skip down to verse 12. Exodus chapter 12, verses 5 through 7, and then we'll make a little jump. 
The Lord is speaking, by the way, through Moses. And this is what he says to the people. He says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Verse 6. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month, that is the first month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill that lamb at twilight. Verse 7. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat it. Jump down to verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood on your doorposts, I will pass over you. And the plague, the plague of verse 12, shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. The feast of Passover was instituted in Egypt as the Jews were preparing to leave under the leadership of Moses. The feast of Passover was instituted while the Jews were enslaved and Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he pressed down upon the Jewish people and said, no, 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 they're staying right here with me. And God had other plans. And God, through the hand of Moses, sent plague after plague after plague onto the land of Egypt until finally he sent an unspeakable plague. A plague in which the angel of the Lord passed over the land of Egypt and struck in judgment all of the firstborn males among the families of Egypt, among Pharaoh's own. The only ones that survived this great plague of Exodus were the ones of the Jews who heeded the word of the Lord and took that lamb as instructed in Exodus 12 and slaughtered that lamb and put on their doorposts the blood of the lamb, that red blood in which the angel of the Lord could see as he passed over that fateful night. That was the only way they were protected. Hope and faith in the blood of the lamb that covered their homes to save them, to save everyone who resided within the confines of those four walls, protected by the red blood that marked their home. Sound familiar? Sound familiar with uh, what we're reading in Joshua 2? God's judgments approaching the city of Jericho The only hope for survival, for salvation, for deliverance is to wait quietly with your family in a home marked by a scarlet red symbol. In Exodus, it was the scarlet red blood of the lamb 
that kept God's people safe. In Joshua, it was the scarlet red cord that hung from a window that kept Rahab and her family safe. The instrument by which God's people were kept safe was an instrument that was befitting the scarlet blood that would one day mark our Lord Jesus Christ. That instruction to hang a scarlet cord in the window that the spies gave to Rahab, it was not happenstance. It was not an accident. It was divine instruction inspired by a deep and abiding feast of Passover that the spies knew they were about to celebrate. It was a symbol from God to Rahab that it was not merely her physical life that would be spared, but that she and her family would be incorporated into the full blessing of the house of Israel, protected forever and given eternal hope by their faith in the scarlet red cord that epitomized the blood of the Lamb. Joshua 5.10 is not happenstance. That feast that they celebrated was very much on the minds of the spies as they sought to deliver their new friend, Rahab. And what about that word uh, cord in uh, Joshua 2? Turn, you can turn back now to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua 2 verse 18, their instructions to her. They say, unless, unless we come into the land and you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, that's the condition. You must tie this cord to the window, Rahab. The Hebrew word for this uh, term cord is the Hebrew term tikva. And as development occurred within the Hebrew language, this term tikva, which meant cord or rope, came to be known in another fashion. Read the Psalms, read the Proverbs, read the latter prophets, and the term tikva morphed from a, a, a term that designated cord or rope or stretching of a rope to, to hope, to expectation, to a settled hope. As we grab the rope, as they would grab the rope and tug it, they would be settled, they would be secure, they would know that there was strength. And the Israelites would use the term tikva later on in the Psalms and the Proverbs and the Prophets to designate a sure and abiding hope, strong hope. And so when you read verses like some of your favorite, Jeremiah 29 verse 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope, watikva in Hebrew, and a future. That term was first introduced through the reading of Joshua 2.18. Sure hope, Rahab. Not just a rope, not just a cord. Sure hope. In the blood of the Lamb. That we're coming. Salvation's coming. Deliverance is coming. You will be safe. When God's judgment came... Rahab and her family were protected. We pick up the story in Joshua chapter 6. Turn to chapter 6. Let's read the, the conclusion to the story. 
chapter 6, verse 17, and then we'll skip to verse 20. Joshua 6, verse 17. This is Joshua speaking to the people just before the fall of the walls of Jericho. He says in verse 17 of chapter 6, Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction. It and all who are in it, only Rahab the harlot shall live. She and all who are, who are with her in the house. Because she hid the messengers that we sent. Jump down to verse 20. So the people shouted with the priests and they blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall of Jericho fell down flat. And then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep and donkey with the edge of the sword. Verse 22. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all that she has, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies, they went in, they brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside the camp of Israel. But inside they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and the gold and the vessels of bronze and iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. Verse 25, and Joshua spared Rahab. He spared Rahab the harlot, her father's house and all that she had. And so she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Wow. What a story. By the help of a harlot, a prostitute, Israel was emboldened to enter the land that God promised them. God used a harlot to accomplish his purpose. The most unlikely person, the most unlikely individual in society was the one person through whom God would make good on his promise to Israel. And now the harlot Rahab, it says in verse 25, now she dwells in Israel to this day from the time that Joshua was, was written. Rahab has become an example to us. On your outline there, a couple of quick phrases toward the bottom. Rahab is an unlikely hero of the faith. According to Hebrews chapter 11, it says, By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she received the spies with peace. She's become a hero. James later on says that she was justified by what she did. She was justified by her works. That is to say, she found approval and became an example by her testimony, by what she did. She has a great testimony in the history of Israel. And perhaps most notable of all, this is the final place I'd like you to turn. Turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. If you have a Bible in front of you on the pew, 509. Matthew 1. This is perhaps most significant as we consider this story. In Matthew 1, we find a genealogy of Jesus Christ. Verse 1 of Matthew 1 says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Verse 2, Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, 
Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. And it continues on. Look at verse 5. Salmon begot Boaz by Rahab. Boaz begot Obed by Ruth. Obed begot Jesse. And Jesse begot David the king. Jump down to verse 16. Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was, of whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Verse 5, again. Solomon begot Boaz by Rahab. That is Rahab the harlot, the prostitute. In the history of Israel, Rahab is mentioned as one of the women through whom the line of Messiah was carried on. On your outline, Rahab, an unlikely woman in the line of Messiah. Rahab the harlot, mentioned in the ancestry of God's own son. She was one of five women mentioned in this genealogy. The others, Tamar, verse 3, Ruth, verse 5, Bathsheba, mentioned as the wife of Uriah, verse 6, and of course Mary, verse 16. With the exception of Mary, the lives of these other women, if you were to read them, you would read stories of, uh, of other instances of harlotry, adultery, deceit, of women who were neglected, outsiders, even foreigners, poor, helpless, needy, nothing royal, nothing prestigious. The most unlikely of women who would later be counted in the line of Messiah are listed here in Matthew 1. And that's how our God works, isn't it? His son, Jesus, the King of Kings, came through the line of the unlikely ones. We spoke, we've, we've spoken a lot about expanding our guest list. We speak of uh, inviting people to the feast, to a physical feast, and, and uh, expanding our guest list, widening our horizon, looking out and, and trying to find the people and the individuals who we would not normally serve, who we would not normally reach out to. And when I speak of expanding the guest list, I do so in part to urge us to be a blessing to the poor, to be a blessing to the neglected, to the outsiders, to the ones who have fallen into sin, to the harlots, to the prostitutes, to the deceivers, to the ones dealing with addiction, to the ones, and the list goes on and on. I say go to the outsiders, go to those on the fringe, go to the neglected ones, go to the poor Go to the unlikely ones, and I say that because I want us to be a blessing to them, in part. But now, having considered the story of Rahab, perhaps we should also expand the guest list. Because the unlikely ones, the outsiders, the prostitutes and the harlots, the foreigners and the poor, the needy and the neglected, the unlikely ones, are the ones, the very ones, through whom God usually 
brings times of blessing and refreshment. Look at Matthew 1. All of those women were outsiders. All those women were unlikely ones. So on your outline, when we speak of expanding the guest list, we do not merely do so that we might bless the overlooked and unlikely ones, but that they might bring times of blessing and refreshment to us. For God delights in using the unlikely. It's what He does. And so when I speak of going to the homeless, or the prostitute, or the outsider, it's not because you're going to do them a great favor. It might be that. But guess what? It's also because it could be that that homeless man, or that prostitute, or that one who's been on the fringe for so long, but when they finally get pulled in to the family of God, that they'll be the ones who stands on this stage and who testifies greatly of the Lord God and of His great work in their life. That they'll be the ones who stand before us and teach us and lead us and show us what God is like. Amen? We expand the guest list to bless others, yes. But we also expand the guest list because God wants to use those people to minister to us as he did through Rahab. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, O Lord, you know who you want us to invite. You've been putting perhaps someone on our heart. We've taken up a card. We're heading out with an intent to invite someone to to a physical feast. And Lord, we do want to do it to bless that person. But God, there's going to be more to it than that. You used Rahab, one of the greatest outsiders, who was invited into your family, and you used her, God, in a way that blessed all the families of the earth. That it was through her that your son Jesus Christ would one day come into this world through a prostitute. Oh Lord, you work in ways that we cannot fathom and understand, but we bask in awe of what you do, of stories of redemption like this one. And so God, as we open up our eyes and reach out to those who are on the outside, let us do so with full hope and confidence that you can take those that are far from you, bring them near, and rise them up in great testimony and faith. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.